All right, there we go. Yes, happy Good Friday, everybody. Um, listen, we are in the Gospel of Luke tonight, the Gospel of Luke, Luke 22. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you one so you can follow along. But Luke chapter 22 is where we're at. Also, if you do, um, if you came in and missed it, we are going to be taking communion tonight. So if you need a, uh, a little communion packet, just raise your hand. We'll get you that as well. Um, but we're going to be taking communion. Luke 22, uh, man, it is Good Friday. Um, I want to just kind of start off by saying this. I hope that tonight and this week can just be a little bit more reflective in nature. Um, I don't know if you guys have followed us on social media, and we posted kind of every day what's happened since Palm Sunday. And I was talking to a few of you about that and just how meaningful that was to kind of follow along on what happened on Palm Sunday, what happened the next day in the temple when Jesus overturned the tables, what happened with the scribes and the Pharisees questioning and challenging Jesus on Tuesday, or him preaching on like the end times on Wednesday, or Thursday, what, like last night, so much went down. And here's my hope. My hope is just to slow down a little bit and to kind of walk through, like, what is this? What is Good Friday? Um, I want to slow down and, like, think about and meditate about the beauty of the cross and the horror of the cross. You know, I was talking to my son last night. We were kind of rehearsing the Good Friday story, like, going through, like, hey, Micah, this is what happened tonight on Thursday, and here's what happened on Friday at 9 a.m., and we're walking through it, and, he's, and he asked a question I'm sure all of you have thought about. He's like, why do we call that day good? That sounds awful. He's like, that is sad Friday. And I'm like, you're right, it is, it is sad Friday. And I'm like, but do you know why we call it good? He's like, well, because he died for our sins. I'm like, yes. Like, obviously, this is a weird, it's a weird day. It's an oxymoron in a sense. It's a paradox. It's going, uh, this is Good Friday. You, we're calling this day the day the Son of God came to earth, loved us, preached the kingdom, preached the gospel, and we took him and crucified him and murdered him. That's good. And it's good because we say because of what it accomplished for us. And so we want to slow down. Because, listen, um, Paul said it really clearly in 1 Corinthians 1.18. He says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that is it. The, the message of the cross sounds foolish, incredibly foolish. But we know, thus us who are being saved, it's the power of God to salvation. And there's power in the cross. Not just the wooden cross itself, but what happened at the cross, what took place at the cross. We have to talk about it. We have to think about it. I don't know if you thought about where we're at right now. It's 6 o'clock, 6.30-ish or whatever, 6.30 almost. Here's the idea. Um, at this point in time, Jesus was crucified on Friday at 9 a.m., hung on the cross for six hours till 3 p.m. At 12 noon, we know it went dark. At 3 o'clock, Jesus is taken off the cross. He would already be in the tomb at this point. It'd already be one of those moments where the disciples are going, what just happened? Like a few days ago, they're crying, Hosanna, save now, save us. And he's crucified dead already in the tomb at this point in time. And I can't imagine, like, the emo like I don't, again, I encourage you, if you haven't been reading, get caught up and read it, because I want you to not just read, like, what happened, but you almost, like, you begin to feel what the disciples felt. Tomorrow's a weird day. The last few years, Saturday's always felt weird to me. Like you almost like feel what the disciples felt on Saturday. You're like, just that hopelessness, but Sunday is coming. And it's so weird because it's weird talking about Good Friday without Sunday. And I'm going to tell you on Easter, it's weird talking about Easter Sunday without Good Friday. <laughs> you, you need both. You absolutely need both. But we just want to tonight just slow down and look at just Good Friday, this day. I love what John Piper said. He said, uh, life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross Cherish it for the treasure that it is. 
and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. What was once foolishness to us, a crucified God, must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in this world. If you've been around Jesus or the church or churchy things, um, it's very easy to get numb to the cross. We cannot get numb to the cross. It's very easy to be like, been there, done that, heard that. Here we go, another Good Friday. It's the power of God of salvation. It needs to become brand new to us again. There's something about reading the Bible where I have to like tell myself, Lord, make this new again. <laughs> doesn't matter if you've heard this before, thought about this before. God, make it, make it beautiful to me again. I want to cling to it. I want to see the world through the lens of the cross. I want to hear the heart of Jesus where he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I, I just feel like we have to, the, the cross is the lens by which we view God and ourselves and the world. It is so key. So we need to like slow down a bit. I mean, the whole point of Scripture is essentially, if you think about this, since Adam and Eve sinned, God promised Eve that there would be one who would crush the serpent's head and then by so doing would bruise his heel. That when did that take place? The cross. The idea is at the cross, it seems like, did we lose? Like the son of God died. But in reality, he crushed the serpent's head and his heel was bruised. Yes, there was death. Yes, it appeared to be loss. But in reality, is victory. And so like the whole scriptures is pointing to the climax of the cross. Like this is, this is it. Like this is what it's about. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers of all time, says, the preaching of the cross of Christ was the very center and heart of the message of the apostles. And there is nothing I know of that is more important than that every one of us should realize that this is still the heart and the center of the Christian, Christian message. Yes, the heart, the center, it's Jesus. Paul's like, I've come knowing nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's an amazing statement. He's like, this is it. I want you to know that Jesus, the Son of God, bled for your sins, because without the shed of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. His body was broken for you so you could be made whole. And this is this message of the, the power lies in the message of the cross. And so we want to talk about that. Now, I just want to put this up here, um, because every year it's kind of like, you know, we're walking through Good Friday, and at this point in time, like I mentioned, Jesus would already be off the cross and buried. And so the idea for me is, like, I would love for us to, like, focus on just a, a part of the story leading up to the cross or the cross itself and what it happened and what it means. So let me kind of explain this. Um, not always. We have the four Gospels, and we have what we call the synoptic Gospels. So think synonym. Uh, think Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They kind of have a similar kind of outline. They have a similar, they tell similar stories. John seems to be like the outlier, focuses more on like seven unique miracles that Jesus did. But when it comes to the cross and the resurrection, all four of them kind of begin to say, say the same thing, but from their vantage point. And so here's the idea. When it comes to the events around the death of Jesus, we'll put this up here. What we see is it starts with the, the Last Supper. We did that last year, not that you might remember, but the Last Supper. Then you see Jesus prophesy about Peter and the disciples uh, denying him and falling away. You see the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. We see Jesus experience a number of trials and scourging that took place in the middle of the night, early morning. We see that Barabbas will be released to the people. We see the cross itself, Jesus' death. We see the burial. Like all four Gospels kind of have the same elements around this. Uh, I want to focus on specifically that second one, which is basically Peter's denial. Jesus prophesied. He says like, hey, listen, I'm going to be stri- the, the, the shepherd will be stricken and all of you are going to scatter. Peter, Satan has asked for you by name. All of you are going to fail me. And I want to look at that, and then I want to see the fulfillment of that when Peter failed him. Because here's the idea. 
through this story of Peter, this tells us a lot about Good Friday. A lot about Good Friday. Uh, This is what it tells us. This idea of Peter. It tells us that all of us have epically failed and all of us are eternally forgiven. And this is the point. This is Good Friday. What's the, what, what does Good Friday teach us? The sermon title today is, what does Good Friday teach us, essentially? That we've all epically failed. That's what Good Friday teaches us. We've all epically failed. That's why we see Jesus crucified. But we're also eternally forgiven. And so we want to look at that. On Sunday, just a heads up for you guys, because this is like, you know, this is the crew. This is the church. Um, on Sunday, we're going to be doing Doubting Thomas, right? And I'm very excited about the passage where Jesus meets Thomas eight days after the resurrection. Very, I'm very thankful for that passage. But tonight is essentially doubting Peter. All of you are going to betray me. He's like, not me. Come on, Peter. You should know better by now. Don't doubt this guy. <laughs> Don't question this guy. All of you are, but not me. Of course, I'm the outlier. No, he's like, no. So we give Thomas the bad rap. He does not deserve that. We'll talk about that on Sunday. Peter's doubting Peter. All right. But the, the main thought is this. What does Good Friday teach us? Peter shows us clearly who failed more than Peter, but who was clearly more forgiven, who, who was purposely sought after and forgiven. Peter. So this is what Good Friday teaches us. So let's do this. It's Luke 22. We're going to read the story. Verse 31. Um, I actually will put this up here too when I said Peter's denial. Again, this is mentioned in all four Gospels. We're going to focus on Luke's version and bring in some other versions as we talk about it. Luke 22, verse 31. Let's just read it and we'll pray. Luke 22, verse 31. Here's what it says. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. Verse 54, verse 54. Then... They seized him, they seized Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they uh, had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he, Peter, denied it, saying, Women, I, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man was with him for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, "Uh, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Happy Good Friday, everybody. Let's just pray. Jesus, we want to say thank you. There's absolutely no one like you. Father, we are here this night. Lord, just to be just, we're just grateful. God, without the cross, we would not be forgiven or redeemed. We thank you for the cross. God, we thank you that you reconciled us. You brought us to you by your blood. God, we thank you that in the midst of just failure, people falling away, turning away from you, God, that you were so good in your grace just to even face the cross. 
to remind us that we, we are all failures, but because of that cross, Jesus, because of the cross, we are made right with you. Father, I just ask that um, if people have not yet experienced the power of the cross, of what is offered to us in your son Jesus' name, that they would experience that tonight. Lord, we thank you. We just ask that you would be glorified, that the message of, cro- of the cross would not be foolishness to anyone in this room, but the power of God is salvation. So we thank you, Jesus, and want to look to you now in your name. Amen. Listen, I think we can all admit that all of us have epically failed at one point in time. Like, there's no one here who has not just failed miserably, whether privately or publicly, around people. Like, every one of us has failed in terrible ways, probably. Sometimes it's funny, like, when I look back and, like, all, all my failures, I can't, I mean, I can't, it's like, where do you begin? I failed in every, if you can think of a way to fail, I failed. And sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's like, no, that's not funny. <laughs> but I think about this, though, this is, I'll make it funny because it's too heavy sometimes. Um, I was preaching at another church, right? Kind of, kind of what happened this weekend, but I was preaching at another church, and uh, I was, like, at the climax of the message. And, like, my buddy's church, I was so excited to be preaching there, and I was talking about Peter when he said in Luke 5, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And I said with so much passion and enthusiasm, and Peter said, depart from me. And, like, right when I said that, everyone lost it, and I just, I, lo- I, lost, like, I, I lost them after that. Like, there was no hope of coming back. I remember the shame of just, like, do I just stop? Like, what do I do? And it was more because of the enthusiasm and passion I said it with, and you're like, I just, what do I go for? It's kind of like this weekend, if you heard this weekend, when we talked about how we all are butt dust, and I just lost you guys. <laughs> We've all epically failed. Listen, um, sometimes it's funny, but in reality, sometimes it's not. You know, honestly, when it comes to just, when I think about in every way of life, I failed. Man, I failed as a husband. I failed as a dad, as a pastor, as a friend. Like, you name the kind of relationship I failed. And some of it, it's not funny. It's shameful. It's hurtful. It's hurt others. You know, it's interesting because Good Friday reminds us of, of that just truth. Like, it's not, it, it is good news, but before it's good news, we have to know it's bad news. Meaning the cross is so good because we are so bad. Like, I have and we have failed miserably. I can't think of a character outside of Judas who failed more miserably around the circumstances of the cross other than Peter. Because not only did he fail, but is with such like enthusiasm of everyone else here can fail, but I'll go with you to prison and to death. And he's the first one next to this little girl denying Jesus. At Jesus's greatest moment of need, it's like when he needs them. Hey, guys, will you stay awake and pray with me? We kind of skipped that part. We'll get to that next year. But can you stay awake and pray with me? They're sleeping. Hey, all of you will deny me. He denies him. My point is, Good Friday reminds us of that truth that all of us, all of us have failed at some point in time. And there's the bright side of that I want to get to, which is that's why Good Friday exists. It's like, yes, the cross reminds me of my failure, but the cross reminds me that I'm forgiven. And before we get straight to you're forgiven, we're going to sit in that part for a little bit that you're a failure. Can we do that? Welcome to church. That's what we do with exchange. We just tell you your failures. Here's why. John Stott said this. It was so profound. He says, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. That's what we're trying to look at. Before you see the cross as something done for you, thank you, Jesus, for the cross. But it's not just done for you, right? Right? It's done because of me. Because of me. By me. That's why he had to go to the cross. It's not just for me. 
So I think that's kind of the point. So here's the two points today. Uh, number one, we've all epically failed. Number two, we are all eternally forgiven. But let's just look at the first one. Can we do that? We have all epically failed. And again, Peter for us is a great case study on this. And it, it just reveals this. So here's how it begins in verse 31. Let's just kind of review. Verse 31, Jesus grabs Simon. He grabs Peter and says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now, by the way, this is just how it begins. It's fascinating to me. It's pointed out, and you probably noticed this. He doesn't say Peter. He says Simon. He goes back to his, like, his old name. But that's interesting to me because I, I get this. Like Parents, you get this. My daughter right now, four, and she's kind of in that little, like I don't know, she's a little bit sassy right now. But when she's in trouble, I'll just say Kinsley Emma Faith Graves. I'll say her full name, right? And she like, looks at me. Like, and you know, maybe like you can hear your parents saying your full name in your mind. And you're like, okay, that means I failed. I probably did something wrong, right? This is the idea. Jesus is using Simon. Simon, that's his old name. Because he was called Peter. Jesus goes, no, you're Peter now. But the idea is he's going back to his old ways. He's going back to his old way of thinking. Listen, we are all going to have moments like this where we revert back. If you've been in that season where like, man, Jesus has been doing something new in my life. He's been making me more and more like himself. It's been a beautiful season of growth. Let me just, let me like tell you now, you're going to have moments where you kind of go back to your old way of thinking, your old way of doing things, saying things. You're going to have moments. And so Jesus in that moment goes, hey, Simon, Simon. And he's like, let him know. Like, you're about to say something dumb. Peter's that, you know, guy that has the foot-shaped mouth, right, where he's, everything he says, it's like, ugh, it's either like power from God, from heaven, or it's like, that was a really dumb thing to say. And this is what he's about to say. It's but something's really dumb. So he goes, Simon, Simon. And I, and I want you to hear this. Because Jesus does, I, he points this out, and it's, it's, it's really profound to me. Because Jesus is about to face the cross. Jesus is about to suffer. Jesus is about to die. And he's like, hey, I have to warn you. Satan has, and he just says it this way, demanded to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. Obviously, there's so much there. Jesus affirms the fact, confirms the fact that Satan isn't just an idea, right? It's not just like, a, he's not just a force or an idea of evil out there, that there is a, a literal person or fallen angel named Satan. And he goes, hey, I want you to know that he has asked for you. He's demanded you. It obviously reminds me of Job, where Satan is standing before the Lord in Job 1, and you see Satan goes, well, God, we all know Job's not denying you because you have like a special hand and a privilege on his life. Just remove that, then he'll deny you. But the idea is like Satan had this dialogue with God over Job. It seems that there's a similar thing happening between Satan just wanting Peter in that way. He's demanded to have you. He wants to sift you like wheat. The idea is we have to recognize that we obviously you know this, but we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We have to recognize that there is an enemy who wants to see us destroyed. There's an enemy who doesn't want the message of Jesus to, to grow. We know that obviously Peter's going to be redeemed. We'll get to that. But we know that the church in so many ways will be built off Peter. Like the whole book of Acts, the first part focuses on Peter. The second half focuses on Paul. The point is like Peter's used profoundly by God. Satan does not want that to happen. It's like God, God, Jesus is like, Peter, you need to know this. You really have an adversary trying to tear you down. I think Peter has this in mind when he writes 1 Peter 5.8. You might know this. Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Like, I think Peter, when he wrote his epistle, when he wrote 1 Peter, I think he has this in mind. Hey, man, Satan, he's walking around like a, a roaring lion. He, he wants to devour. Be firm in the faith. 
Stand up. There's all your brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering. Know that Satan wants you. You know, I had, I had a pastor friend who told us a story where he was basically walking around town and um, he just said this was like at the one of the, the kind of like just the Lord was doing some sweet things in his life and his ministry and his church, like some beautiful things. People were getting saved. People were being discipled. It was so beautiful. And he's walking around his town and he said, basically, this, this person approaches him and he just said, this person, just the look at them, the look from them, the way they felt just felt so dark. And they go up to him and say, hey, we know who you are, and then said his name. We know who you are, and we're watching you. And he said it felt so demonic and so heavy. And he's like, I almost for a second got overwhelmed with fear, but then it hit me. How cool is that that they know me by name? <laughs> he's like, how cool is that that they know me by name and they're afraid? He's like, ha, this is actually not bad or scary at all. You know, it's funny. He's like, I view this as like a compliment. I'm so glad you know me by name. <laughs> he's like, this is great. That means I'm being effective. Like, think about Peter. Why was Peter asked for by name? Because he's about to be very effective in the hand of God. And, and we have to be, realize that the enemy does not want to see you or anyone be used effectively for the kingdom of God. And we have to see that, there's, we have, and I love that Jesus, even though he's about to face the cross, is like, I'm worried about you, Peter. And nobody, notice what Jesus says here. He says, but, but, he wants to sift you, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Verse 32, do you see that? But I have prayed for you. How cool is that? Man, like, imagine Jesus looking at you and like, hey, I got you. I've been praying for you. Like, okay, it doesn't get better than that. Like, I've, I've prayed for you. I'm interceding for you. I'm pleading on behalf. We, we're told in 1 John chapter 2, he says, um, my little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But if any of you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He goes, I don't want you to sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You have an advocate. Jesus is like, Peter, I've been praying for you. He wants to sift you. I, I got you. But notice how he says it. I pray that your faith may not fail. And it appears to fail short term, not long term. But he says this, but when, when you have returned or turned again, strengthen your brothers. But when, not if. Imagine, again, that, that is the, the thing that I believe Peter's going to have to cling to at this point. I think that we're going to see Peter fail and fall. And he's going to be like, but Jesus said when. When you've turned again. That's like a promise in that. Not if you turn back to me, but Peter, I've been praying for you. When you fail, can I tell you this? When you turn back to me, strengthen your brothers. Get back to work. You're not out of the ministry. I'm not done with you yet. When. What, what promising words Jesus spoke. Even though Peter didn't want to hear that. Even though Peter doesn't agree with that. I can't imagine the hope that he had to cling to. He's like, wait, he said, when I return. When I turn again, I love that God has more like confidence in, in that than he does. When you have turned. So he says that to him in verse 32. Peter says to him in verse 33, look at verse 33. He said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death, right? Here's the problem. Um, the, the, the Kind of the high and low with Peter is like his self-confidence. Like Peter's self-confidence is amazing. That's the guy that's like, Jesus, you're walking on water. I want to walk on water with you. Like, good job, Peter. Like, because you had such unique faith and boldness, you got to experience some really cool things. But because of your like, you know, braveness, it also kind of led you down to things like this. Like, okay, maybe he had too much confidence in his flesh. It is kind of interesting to me because um, this is what we see so often in scripture. Sometimes your strength becomes your weakness. For example, Abraham, right? He's the father of faith. Abraham believed God. God counted to him righteousness. God's like, Abraham, I got you. But Abraham lacks faith when he goes to Egypt and Pharaoh's like, I want your wife. And he's like, well, take my wife then. Um, this guy, this man of faith, he compromised in his faith right? Or Moses. Moses, we're told in the scriptures, is the meekest man. It literally says he's the meekest man who ever lived. Like, this guy's humble, man, but what does he do? In his pride, he strikes the rock and cannot enter into the promised land. 
Abraham's faith was his strength. Moses' meekness was his strength. Peter's like bravery and boldness was his strength. Now it's his weakness. Why do I bring this up? 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says it really clearly. He goes, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If you think you're good in an area of life, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I struggled with that sin years ago, but I'm good now. Mm. Just watch out. Peter's bravery, Moses' meekness, Abraham's faith, it became an, an issue later. And he says, listen, even if they all do, I won't. Oswald Chambers so famously said, uh, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. Maybe you've heard that. Just an unguarded strength is a double weakness. Peter's like, listen, do you not know who I am? I'm Peter. I'm, Pe- I'm the rock, man. Like on this rock, me, right? That's what we probably thought. Hey, maybe you misinterpreted that. But that, he's like, don't you get it? Like, I'm, I, they can all leave you. They can all deny you, but not me. He's like, okay. <laughs> I, I actually love uh, Mark's version says this, that Peter said, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Verse 31 in Mark 14, Peter said, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. He, he goes so far. They can all stumble, not me. Even if I have to die I'm not going to deny you. And three times he denies Jesus. You know, Jesus told us in Luke chapter 9, if any man wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow after me. If Peter denied himself, he wouldn't be denying Jesus at this point. But we fall into this trap. Sometimes we don't deny ourselves. So what happens is we might deny Jesus with our actions later. Peter goes, I'm not going to deny him, not me, everyone else could. Again, this is the idea, and I, I, I think you're getting it, but Proverbs says it this way. Um, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This is just Peter at this moment. Jesus, I'm going to die with you. All, they could all leave you, not me. I'm not going to be part of this. So what happens next? Verse 54, we'll keep going with the story. Verse 54, it says, Then they seized Jesus, they seized him, led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. Obviously, you caught that like I caught that. Peter was following at a distance. Um, there's been a lot of commentary on this. I want to say this. It's amazing that he's still following him. I think sometimes you give him bad credit, like, you should, don't be following. Like, yes, we will get to that. But all of them basically abandoned Jesus at this point in time. Peter sees, sees Jesus being taken, going to the scribes, going to the Pharisees, going to court, and, G, and Peter is at least following, but it is at a distance. The idea is, obviously, it starts with some sort of compromise. It's like, I'll follow Jesus, but at a distance. Then we see him what? It says he warmed himself by the fire. You kind of see this progression of like, okay, just be very careful of like how sin progresses in your life. It might start with like, I'm following Jesus, I'm following at a distance, and now I'm warming myself by the enemy's fire. A lot of times there's like this progression that we have to be, it does not seem like a big deal, but obviously these little things seem to add up. Uh, and we're told in Mark's version again. So when they say, hey, I think I know who you are. Aren't you the Galilee? Like, you have a Galilean accent. That gives it away. Like we know who you are. You've been with Jesus. And we're told in Mark's version, it says, then Peter began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. By the way, um, fun fact, Mark's version of this, Mark was most likely discipled by Peter himself. Mark's gospel has been called Peter's gospel. Um, The idea is that Mark spent so much time with Peter one-on-one that it's Peter probably saying, Mark, here's how it went down. And so Mark actually kind of gives us a little bit more detail sometimes around Peter uh, because it's, it's possible that Peter was one who influenced him or actually helped him write that gospel. But here's what's interesting to me about that. He's like, no, 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 um, Luke was kind of nice. He said, I denied him. They're like, don't forget, put in there. I cursed and swore that I denied him. Like, no, no, like I was pretty, I was pretty adamant about it. The the reason why I think this is so, it stands out to me, um, reading through this, and I have to point this out. It's not like he just cursed, like said a bad word, but actually the word that's used in the Greek, it's like the word anathema, 
Maybe you're familiar with that word. We'll put it up on the screen for you. It's anathematize, the word curse. It means to declare anathema, devote to destruction. He's, he's basically doing something you should never do. He, he's basically anathematizing Jesus, going, no, no, no. As he's cursing and swearing, I don't need to make up words, but he's just basically saying, I have nothing to do. I deny him in the most serious way you could deny him. That's how I'm denying him. The cursing and swearing is not just like cursing and swearing. It's like if you can deny Jesus in a more, you can't really get past anathema. He's anathemaing Jesus. We're told in Galatians 1.8, if anyone preaches to you another gospel, count them anathema. Peter is basically using such strong language. He's like, count, consider me dead to Jesus. He's cursing and swearing. The point I'm bringing this up is, man, this is, this, if we're talking about failure, he failed. Epically. I will not deny you. I'll die with you. They might deny you, not me. Then he anathemizes Jesus. I'm bringing this up because I can't imagine the headspace Peter would be in, obviously, after this. I mean, where his heart was at, where his mind was at. Afraid. It's, you know, when it says a girl said, I know, the word girl, again, in Greek, I love it, it literally means a young girl. Like this little girl. Like a young maiden. It means like young, probably youth, teenager. Hey, aren't you one of them? Not me. It's like, man, you went from being so bold to like this little girl calls you out. Now you're like terrified. Like, oh, you of little faith. Like, this is crazy. This is Peter, man. And he's getting to this point. I try to like put it out this way just so you kind of see it. While Jesus is under fire, Peter is warming himself by the fire. While Jesus confesses the truth under immense pressure, Peter denies the truth under basic pressure. While Jesus gives himself, Peter saves himself. While Peter's swearing against Jesus, Jesus is making a claim for his divine sonship. Just the compare and contrast of Jesus and Peter. Think about this. Jesus is on trial, but it feels like Peter's on trial. Both are on trial. One is guilty, one is innocent. One leads to death, one doesn't die. Why? Because the cross. The the point, I really want you to see this. The cross reminds you and I, because of my disgusting sins and failures, the cross had to happen. The cross has to happen. I have, and you, we, like, we have all, like, I can't look at this text and be like, Peter, shame on you. Like, no, no, like, who doesn't fall into this category? All of us have pulled a Peter. All of us got into this place in our heart. Our actions have denied God. Like, we can't act like Peter's in this different category. The reality is, the cross reminds us that because of our great sin, an innocent man had to die. Because of what you and I have done, Jesus had to suffer and die innocently. It says in verse 60, Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I can't imagine that. He denies him. Jesus even made it clear. He goes, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. He denies him, denies him, denies him. He's cursing and swearing. He's anathemizing. Like, he's going off. And then literally after the third time, rooster crows, and Jesus on trial in front of the scribes, the Pharisees, in front of all these people, Jesus or Peter by the fire warming himself. Peter looks over. Jesus looks over. They make eye contact. I truly can't imagine that. The Bible doesn't give us commentary, so I want to be very careful with like, like adding commentary to this. I don't think it was judgment eyes. I don't. I don't think it was disappointment eyes. I don't. I just imagine seeing Jesus, the one you looked into. If you're Peter, this is Jesus, the one you said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the one who calmed the, the sea and the storms, and you says, uh, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. This is the one who did all of those things, and now he sees his eyes. And just, he leaves and weeps bitterly. It's, it's, again, it's a fascinating story because obviously at the same time we see Judas, who not denied but betrayed Jesus, sells him for 30 pieces of silver, ends up hanging himself. 
Peter denies him three times, make eye contact with Jesus, and you could just feel like, what do I do now? And I, and I bring this up because here's the thing. Before we get to Sunday, you have to sit in like what Friday felt like. What does Saturday feel like? I can't imagine the headspace Peter was in. I can't imagine the pain and disappointment, the agony. But can I tell you the same thing that reminds you of your sin is the same thing that reminds you of your forgiveness? Because the cross, we realize, Peter's like, I denied him. I didn't stand up for him. Jesus, I'm the guilty one. He's the innocent one, and he's the one dying. Oh, it's because of my filth and my sin and my shame. That's why he's at the cross. And yet at the same time, it hits him, but it's because of the cross. Like, yes, I need to know it's because of my sin Jesus had to go up there. But it's also for my sin Jesus went up there. And it's both. So here's the first thing. Yes, he and we have all epically failed. But the cross reminds us of this, that we are eternally forgiven. In fact, what does Good Friday teach? And it didn't hit Peter right away. We'll get to that. It didn't hit him right away. But the cross reminds him, he's up there because of my sin, but he's also there for my sin. So not just because of my filthy sinner, he had to die but for my sin, for me, for my forgiveness, for my reconciliation. I love what Billy Graham said. Billy Graham famously said, the cross is the ultimate expression of God's love for us and the ultimate act of forgiveness. It is the way that God shows us that he is willing to forgive us no matter what we have done. The whole idea of the cross, again, first is this. It shows you and I, I'm a filthy sinner, and so he had to go to the cross because of my sin, but also says, no, but I'm a forgiven sinner. I'm not just a filthy sinner. Yes, I am. I'm a forgiven sinner. You see, the cross is that weird thing where it's beautiful and yet ugly. It reminds you of the pain and suffering and agony of this world, of our sin, of all the things we've done. But yet Jesus goes, but it's also the most beautiful thing on earth because you're forgiven. Because of a God who has outstretched arms saying, I love you. It's the cross and Good Friday. It is this weird thing, this weird paradox where it reminds me of my sin, but reminds me of my forgiveness. Listen, Paul would say it this way. He says, if we are faithless, God remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Peter can deny him. God's like, I cannot deny who I am, and I'm a God who forgives. You can deny me. I can't deny me. My character and nature is a forgiving God. We have to be reminded of that truth. C.S. Lewis says, the great, the, but the great thing to remember is that, listen, Though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It is not wearied by our sins or our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we shall be cured of those sins at whatever cost to us, at whatever cost to him. Again, you need to hear that first part. Though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. Is that not Peter? Though this feeling of I will not deny you, then he denies him, and he feels it high and he feels this great low, but God's love did not change for him. See, the cross reminds him, yes, you're a sinner, but yes, you're forgiven. It is clearly points to that. Keller says it this way. The cross is where God's forgiveness and our need for forgiveness met. It is where Jesus took our sins upon himself so that we could be forgiven and set free. We have to understand the cross. There's this beauty and this ugliness of it. Because of my sin, he's there, but for my sin, I'm, because of my sin, I'm also forgiven because of the cross. So here's the idea I want to share with you guys. When Peter heard the rooster crow, right, the third time, and he looks at Jesus and weeps bitterly. I'm trying to understand that dynamic a little bit. But think about the rooster. Jesus promised this rooster would crow after he denied him three times. 
And I wonder, like, what did that rooster crowing kind of do to him? Here's a few thoughts. I just want to put this up here. The rooster crowing and how this is actually not a sign of God's judgment, but of God's forgiveness. Here's the rooster crowing. Number one is this. Jesus knew all and that he was still in control of things. Jesus has authority over the fish, the winds, the wave, disease, death, even this rooster. Here's what I, here's what I mean by that. The rooster crowing after the third time he denied him, it reminds Peter at the moment, oh, Jesus said this would happen. Do we not get, Jesus knew this. Wait, I can't forget that Jesus knows all and he has authority over everything. I saw this guy control the wind, the waves, the sea, fish, spin out coins. I saw him do everything, right? And also now this rooster. It reminds Peter, oh, Jesus is in control. It reminds Peter what he says will come to pass. There's just probably the weight of the rooster crowing where he's like, wait, Lord, you knew this. Number two, the rooster crowing reminds Peter, listen, it reminds Peter that he could be forgiven. Because here's the idea, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. The rooster crowing after the third time, it must be in Peter's mind, wait, Jesus said to me, when I have returned, strengthen my brothers. So yes, I denied him three times, but he told me that would happen, and he told me to also strengthen my brothers. It must have just brought back that phrase. It must have reminded him of the goodness and grace of God. Like, when you fail, Peter, Peter, this does not define you. How many of you feel like your sin defines you? Listen, your sin does not define you. The cross defines you. Your sin, what you've done, it's not everything you are. Your sin, yes, you've done it. Yes, you've committed it. But Jesus goes, no, I give you a new identity. I give you a new creation. I've stamped the cross over your life. This now defines you. Not your sin, my son. This doesn't define you. So again, I think the rooster crow reminds him, wait a second, he promised that after I've fallen, when I return. Just that phrase going through his mind. And here's the third thought. When the rooster crowed, uh, it reminds him of this. You know what it means? It just means a new day is dawning. When a rooster crows in the morning, you know what that reminds you of? Oh, wait, this is a new day. It's a new day. And his mercies are new every morning. I think the rooster's crowing after the third time. It's just like, it seems so painful because of the fulfillment that he would deny him. But at the same time, there's a lot of beauty in that. Lord, I failed you, but you told me when I have returned, strengthen my, brother, my brothers. Lord, I have failed you, but your mercies are new every morning. Lord, I fail you, but you knew this would happen. You're so good. You have control and sovereignty over it all. Lord, thank you for this. This is why I think in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, it says, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Let me say this. Um, I actually don't want to just read that verse. Like out of con- that, that verse is so profound if you get a chance. If you ever come to this place where you feel like God couldn't love me or forgive me, do you know what I've done? Do you know what I've done? Do you know what I've said? Do you know the things I've committed? If you've ever felt this way, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, to those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and knows all things. Like, I, you need to hear this. Peter's heart definitely condemned himself. Like, imagine anathemizing Jesus as you're swearing and cursing, and I'll die. I do not know the man. You know, explicitives, Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Like, what? I just denied you three times over and over again. I just anathemized you, and you're, you're like, tell me about when I, when I turn again, strengthen my brothers. You're actually giving me a call again to serve you? Yeah. Because the rooster crowed. Because his mercies are new every morning. A new day is dawning. Sunday is coming. That your sin does not define you. The cross reminds you that you're a sinner, but the cross reminds you that you're forgiven. And that's the idea. Yes, you and I have epically failed, but yes, because of the cross, we are eternally forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross.
And I think for Peter, by the way, we know how the story goes with Peter, right? You know what's so cool? And I'm not getting into this too much because Sunday's right around the corner. But you know what's so cool? After Jesus rises again and the angels appear to Mary and they're talking, they, I love, they're like, go and tell the disciples that Jesus is risen and Peter. What grace in that. Go and tell the disciples and Peter because Peter's probably messed up <laughs> after what he just did. You know what Jesus does days later? Obviously, they're, they're at the sea. Peter, the disciples, they're fishing. Jesus shows up. They don't know it's Jesus in John 21. And it obviously is one of those beautiful moments because he's like, hey, cast your net on the other side. They cast your net. They're like, I think I've heard this story before. Wait, oh yeah, this has happened. That's Jesus. Peter jumps out of the boat, swims to shore. Note 11, John 21, verse 9, it says this. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Here's the idea. Peter, you denied me by the fire. Hey, buddy, I have a new fire for you. I have a new fire for you. I, I can't imagine the, the fire thing three times, warming himself, sticking in all four Gospels. Obviously, it was such an impactful moment. And Jesus was like, no, there's a new fire, and I just want to feed you. I have a new fire. That fire, that fire pit, that doesn't define you. I have a new fire for you. You also experience a new fire in Acts too, <laughs> But I have a new fire for you. Then Jesus has this conversation, this beautiful dialogue with Peter. In John 21, verse 15 to 17, We'll put it up, but I, you know, the idea is this. Jesus goes, Peter, do you love me more than these? The question is, what are the these? Is it the fish, the fishing, his career? He was a fisherman. Is it the disciples? Is it the food? Peter loved food. Like, what is it? We don't know. He goes, Peter, do you love me more than these? And here's what Peter says. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep or tend my sheep. There's always some sort of call given to him. But three times, obviously, Jesus goes, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I point this out. You might know this, but it is fascinating. Grab, it, grab this. You can right now go on Google and do this. If you're on, maybe not right now after church. But you can go look up John 21 interlinear. If you, type, if you Google John 21 interlinear, you'll see this beautiful conversation in the Greek. Because Jesus goes, Peter, do you agape me? He literally says, do you agape me? Peter, the first time, goes, I phileo you. Jesus goes, Peter, do you agape me? He goes, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Remember, agape is this unconditional love. Phileo is this brotherly love. Peter has so much guilt and shame, he can't say, I agape you. How could I? I've just, I just anathemized you. Then Jesus goes, Peter, do you phileo me? <laughs> he goes to his level. Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Keep my sheep. What I love about that, three times Peter denies Jesus. Three times Jesus restores Peter. Peter, with so much guilt and shame, cannot say agape, but Jesus is like, it's okay, I'll come to your level. You flail me, I know. Do you flail? Yeah. I'll meet you where you're at. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. We have to understand this about our God. The cross reminds me of some terrible, stupid things I have done and I probably will do. The cross also reminds me that I'm eternally forgiven by the blood of Jesus. The cross reminds me like Peter, because of what I've done, I'm guilty, he's innocent, I'm on trial, and yet I'm innocent and he's found guilty? Yeah, because of the great exchange. Because Jesus took my place, my sin, my filth, I get now his righteousness. Yeah, the cross says you are guilty. Do you not get it? Do you not get that the Son of God had to die for your sin? You are so guilty. God's like, there's no way to fix this other than my eternal blood being shed. That's the only way to fix this. That's how guilty we are. The only fixing was God himself dying on a cross. Just like we're told in Genesis 22, where is the lamb? Isaiah and Isaac are having, or Abraham and Isaac are having this conversation. 
Where is the lamb? John the Baptist sees Jesus. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the idea of the cross is Jesus is that once and for all final lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And if you believe on him, you will be saved. And the cross reminds you of me, of my filth, my sin, all the things I've done. Yes, it's really clear. I'm a guilty sinner, but I'm also forgiven because of that same cross, because of that blood. It reminds me of two powerful truths. Yes, I'm a sinner, but yes, I'm saved by Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And when my heart condemns me, God is greater than my heart and knows all things. Is that an excuse to go out and do whatever I want? God forbid, how can we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? No, 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 no. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. To who? To those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So walk according to the Spirit. There's no condemnation. It's a, it's a great place to walk in. It's a great place to walk in. Not just there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, but to those who walk according to the Spirit. Walk according to the Spirit. Walk in the newness of life. You know, I was thinking about this... Um, I haven't really focused on this, and this wasn't like a big part of this, but Jesus' conversation with Peter, it's really fascinating to me. After he restores him three times, do you want to know what he says to him? You can read this in John 21. After this great conversation, he just says, Peter, follow me. The same words he started off with in his ministry with Peter. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Okay, and they follow him. He still needed to follow Jesus three plus years later. Follow me. You never stop following Jesus. You maybe followed Jesus years ago. Follow Jesus today. You maybe think, oh, I, I've been there, done that. His mercies are new every morning. It's still available. Follow him. He is worthy. We're going to take communion. Here's the idea, guys. You have no need to take this if you do not believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Actually, I encourage you not to take it. Don't eat and drink in an, in an unworthy way. However, if you hear this and you go, I believe that Jesus is my Lord, my God, I believe that though I look at this little cup filled with this juice, his blood was shed for the forgiveness of my sins. His body was broken for me so that I could be made whole. Then I would say, take, eat, and drink, and celebrate. Good Friday is this weird, heavy day, but can I tell you, it's a beautiful day. It means sin has been paid for. That your debt, your debt that you could never pay has been paid. The debt that you could never pay back to God has been paid. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend some time in worship. We're going to respond with communion. I would say, please, eat, drink freely. He that have no money, come, buy, eat, and drink. But if you do not believe on Jesus, don't take it. But if you do believe on Jesus, take it freely. Enjoy. This is the cross. This idea that Jesus, because you remind me that I am a sinner, but I've been saved by the grace and the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We just want to spend some time worshiping and honoring Jesus. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. Feel free to sit, eat, drink, stand, kneel. This is Good Friday. Remember the cross. Reflect on it. Yes, you have failed epically, but yes, you are eternally forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Let's just do that. Father, we just want to say thank you for, again for the cross. God, it is the power, your power to salvation. God, it is that great reminder of our sin and our sin, but that we're also forgiven freely. And we just say, thank you, Jesus. God, thank you. Because I fail all the time, but God, you are faithful. And we just want to say, thank you, Jesus. We were, we were reminded as we take communion of your faithfulness, of your last supper, of you saying, this is the new covenant that I give to you. And Lord, we just want to participate in this new covenant, God. We thank you so much for your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. We just want to praise you now and enjoy you now, Jesus, in your name. Take some time, pray, celebrate, thank Jesus, confess sin, 
Spend time in your seat just quietly with the Lord. If you want to sing and worship, sing and worship. If you want to just sit, reflect on the cross, reflect on the cross. This is between you and the Lord. Spend some time with him. We're going to take communion and we're going to continue to worship.